Amen. All right. Thank you, Matt. All right. I've got a question that I want to begin with this morning. If I were to ask you to quote Shakespeare this morning, what would you say? Now, I know what I would say, and I have probably a pretty good guess as to what you would say, because what I would say just happens to be one of the most quoted lines in all of modern English, not just Shakespeare. Uh, It comes from the opening lines of a famous soliloquy uh, given by Prince Hamlet. In Acts chapter 3 and scene 1 of the play titled Hamlet. And so this morning, just as a special treat, I have asked Mark Callahan, our in-house theater expert, actor extraordinaire, to perform uh, just part of this for us. So Mark, please take the stage. All right, man. Awesome. Awesome, right? Man. Now, just so you know, when I asked Mark on Wednesday at lunch to do that, um, he could have quoted that entire soliloquy from memory. Like, he didn't have to study this week. That's just, that's just like in him, right? All I know is the very first line, to be or not to be. That is the question. In fact, I have that written in my Bible above Acts 15. To be or not to be, that is the question. You see, there's an important question being asked in our text this morning. The question of Acts 15 is about circumcision. To be circumcised or not to be circumcised. Now, this may seem a little strange and unusual to us today, but the underlying question being asked was this, in order to follow Jesus, do you first have to become a Jew? So another way to ask this is to be a Jew or not to be a Jew, and how that question is answered here in Acts chapter 15 is going to affect everything for the rest of this new movement. Chapter 15 is the very center of the, chap- of, of the book of Acts. It, it's, 
It's the centerpiece of this book. Everything hinges and everything depends on this pivotal moment. Everything that has happened in the first 14 chapters has led to this. And everything that will happen in in the final 14 chapters depends on this. At the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have just returned home from their first missionary journey. If you recall, their home church or their sending church is located in Antioch in Syria. It's about 250 miles north of Jerusalem, and it's the place where the disciples were first called Christians. Now, this was not a term that the disciples came up with to describe themselves. Instead, it was a name that was given to them by the community. You see, it was this first group of disciples made up of both Jews and Gentiles. With this first group, Christ was the only common denominator. And so the community didn't know what to label them, and so they labeled them Christians. And so the church in Antioch became the mother church for this new movement of Jews and Gentiles following Christ together. And so let's pick up here in verse 27 of chapter 14. So Paul and Barnabas, on arriving there, back from this first missionary journey where we've been over the last couple of weeks, they gathered a church together. They reported all that God had done through them. And then I love this statement. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. What a great statement. Isn't that good? God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And I love that, I love that word picture even. That's a great word picture. The question is, just how far did God open the door to the Gentiles? Was the door opened wide or was it just cracked a little bit? You see, some of the Jewish believers needed further clarification. Just how open is open? At my house, we can, we can open wide the front door, but then we have a storm door that we can lock. And so I think it was kind of like that for these Jewish believers. They were happy to open wide the front door to the Gentiles, but in order to unlock the storm door, you had to be circumcised. Essentially, they were good with including the Gentiles as long as the Gentiles were good with first becoming Jews. They were were fine with Gentiles coming through the front door. They just had to unlock the storm door first. So let's pick up here in chapter 15 and look at this text together. Verse 1 reads, these men came to Antioch uh, from from Jerusalem teaching this, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now that's really strong language. It wasn't you might not be saved. It was you cannot be saved. It's not happening. The storm door is locked. Jew first, then Christian. Well, as you can imagine, verse 2, 
This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. These two terms uh, here translated dispute and debate, they indicate a serious lack of agreement. They are very intense words. In other places in the New Testament, they're translated as riot and revolt. And so this was not a small disagreement. This was a point of contention. And neither side was going to budge. To be or not to be? That's the question. And so Paul and Barnabas, along with this group of Jewish believers, go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. And they're going to become part of what's known as the council at Jerusalem. And the sole reason for their meeting is to answer this important question concerning circumcision. So in verse 4, Paul and Barnabas go first. They're welcomed warmly by the apostles and by the elders. They give a full report of everything that God has done through them. And then verse 5, this group of Jewish believers get their turn. Now, they're described here by Luke in this way. They're believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. And so that even gives us some more insight into who they were. They were believers in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. But they were also Pharisees who followed strict observance of the law. And so they were trying to bring these two things together in some way. Belief in Jesus and strict observance of the law. And they actually show all their cards here in verse 5 because it's more than just circumcision to them. Again, in really strong language, they say, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. In other words, they first must become a practicing Jew. So, both sides have their say. The apostles and the elders meet to consider this question, to be or not to be. In Luke, chapter, in Luke verse 7, I mean in Acts 15 verse 7, Luke says this, after much discussion. So, you might think that this was a no-brainer, or at least that it should be, but it wasn't. It was only after much discussion. There was discussion and some more discussion, and then some fo- and followed by some discussion. And at some point during this discussion, Peter gets up and he addresses them. And this is verses 7 through 11. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time with this speech of Peter's because it's so good. There's so much packed into these verses. It's such a powerful message. Now, the last time we saw Peter, he had miraculously escaped from prison in the middle of the night. He'd stopped by the home of John Mark's mom and then hightailed it out of Jerusalem in the middle of the night. And that's the last we heard from Peter. And I emphasized in my sermon when we were looking at that chapter about how in Luke's narrative there was a passing of the baton, right? Peter had been the main character of the narrative leading up to that point, and then there was a passing of the baton to Paul. 
However, Peter returns here in Acts chapter 15 for an encore presentation. One last time to the main stage. This is Peter's final appearance in the book of Acts. And all of Christianity is thankful that he showed up to speak as directly as he did to the council on this day. To be or not to be. In his speech, Peter answers the question with a definitive no. In fact, in most translations, at the beginning of verse 11, there's a no with an exclamation point. The Gentiles do not have to first become Jews. This morning, I want to share with you four reasons based upon his speech So why it was so important and so critical here at the outset of this this new movement to make sure that people understood that the Gentiles did not first have to become Jews. They did not have to first be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus. Four reasons. Here we go. I know a lot of y'all take notes. And so I want to hit these four. I'm going to tell you the four reasons, and then we're going to go through each one. Number one, God is doing something brand new. That's verse 7. God's doing something brand new. Number two, verses 8 and 9, it has everything to do with your heart. It has everything to do with your heart. Number three, it has nothing to do with the law of Moses. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses. And then number four, grace is unlike anything you've ever known. It's verse 11. God is doing something brand new. It has everything to do with your heart. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses. And grace is unlike anything you've ever known. So let's work our way through these four points from Paul's speech this morning. First, God is doing something brand new. As my dad liked to say, brand spanking new. Completely new. Let's read verse 7. Brothers, Peter says, You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter begins his speech by referring to the conversion of Cornelius. Peter says it was some time ago. It would probably been about 10 years ago, 10 years since his conversion. This makes the third time that Luke uh, has mentioned the conversion of Cornelius, and it's, it's that important to him. It was, it was the conversion of Cornelius was a watershed moment for the early church. The conversion of a Roman centurion marked the beginning of God doing something brand new. And here's what Peter's saying. Not only was he there for that event, 
Not only was he an eyewitness testimony of what God chose to do on that day, but it was through his mouth. It was from his lips that the gospel was first preached to the Gentiles. And the message that was preached on that day by his lips did not include circumcision or require obeying the law of Moses. God's doing something brand new. Christianity is not just a better form of Judaism. It's something entirely new and radically different. And it's God who's doing it. It's God's initiative. Peter makes it clear that God has made a choice. He uses that language. God has made a choice to do a brand new thing. And the Jews understood the language of choice. God had chosen the Jews. They were his chosen people. The act of circumcision was a way to acknowledge that they were the chosen ones. But God's made a new choice. In Luke chapter 5, verses 37 and 38, Jesus tells a parable about new wine. He says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the old skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is like the new wine. And these Jewish believers wanted to pour the new wine of the gospel into the old wineskins of circumcision and the law of Moses. They wanted desperately to bring these two together in some way, but it's not going to work because God's doing something brand new. Second, it has everything to do with your heart. This brand new thing that God's doing has everything to do with your heart. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ must be poured out into new wineskins. It's poured out into new creations, as Brad reminded us this morning. It's poured out into, into, into our hearts. It's got everything to do with our hearts. Verses 8 and 9, let's pick back up here in um, Peter's speech. He says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. The part there at the beginning of verse 8 that's translated, who knows the heart, is just one word in the Greek, and it's a noun. And so it's most literally translated as heart knower. And I really like that. So it's just, it's just God, the heart knower. And this heart knower is doing a new thing with our hearts. You know, being a heart knower 
is a characteristic and a quality that belongs only to God. I can't know what's in your heart because I'm not a heart knower. And you sitting out here today, you can't know what's in my heart because you're not a heart knower. You know, I've been known at times to tell my wife that I'm not a mind reader. And for some reason, that never goes over well when I say that. Usually, my timing's bad. It's not the right moment to let her know that. But it's true. I, I can't read minds. Now, Karen's really good about asking me what's on my mind because there are times when she wants to know. There are times when she wants to hear from me, there, when there are times when she wants to know what I'm thinking about because she can't know what's on my mind unless I tell her she's not a mind reader. And in the same way, we're not heart knowers, but God is. God knows our hearts, and here's why that's a big deal. Because, you see, I can hide the ugly and the messy parts of my heart from you. And you can hide the ugly and messy parts of your heart from me because we're not heart knowers. But we can't do that with God. Oh, we might try. But God's a heart knower. And because he knows our hearts so well, he knows that requiring obedience to the law of Moses cannot change our hearts. Cannot change our hearts. Oh, it can contain our hearts. Oh, it could condition our hearts in some ways, but they can't change our hearts. And the problem's not with the law of Moses. The problem's with our hearts. Outward acts of obedience cannot change the inward parts of our heart. When I was this age, college student, when I point over here, I didn't mean Dale. I'm not that age yet. But just typically where our college students sit. When I was in college, I had the fortunate opportunity to go to a retreat that a gentleman named Mike Cope was, was leading. Uh, he's a preacher, and um, he was there speaking. And I, I've never forgotten what he taught about. Um, it, it, his, his message at that retreat um, has carried me through uh, many years. And here's what he said. He said this. He said, becoming like Jesus cannot happen from the outside in. It can only happen from the inside out. Can't happen from the outside in. It can only happen from the inside out. The inward parts of our heart can only be changed. They can only be purified, to use Peter's language here, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, and through faith. That's it. That's the only way that our hearts can be changed. And so listen, God's doing something new, and it has everything to do with your heart. And so it's going to be all about the Holy Spirit and faith. Not about circumcision, in obedience to the law of Moses. And that brings me to my third point. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses. 
Verse 10, Peter says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentile disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Man, I've got to tell you, this is one of my favorite statements that Peter makes in all of Scripture. And perhaps it's not because of the reason you think. It's a statement of great truth. None of us are able to obey all the requirements of the law of Moses. And so I appreciate the truth of the statement. But what I appreciate even more is the vulnerability of this great leader. Think about the setting where Peter makes this statement. He's at the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. All the important people of this new movement are present. The apostles, the elders of the church of Jerusalem, Paul, Barnabas, James, the brother of Jesus, everyone who is anyone is there. And so it would be easy to. The temptation perhaps for me in that, in that setting would be to try to elevate myself in some way, to make my point. You know, here's why you all should listen to me. But Peter doesn't do that. Instead, in this moment of vulnerability, he shows great transparency. And he says, listen, why would we lay something around the necks of the Gentiles? That we, that me, that you, nor our fathers have been able to bear. Listen, this new something has everything to do with the heart and nothing to do with the law of Moses. And then fourth, lastly, grace is unlike anything you've ever known. Grace is unlike anything you've ever known. Let's read together again verse 11. He says, no, not to be, because we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The message of salvation through the grace of our Lord Jesus is unlike anything you've ever known. It's unlike any story you've ever heard or anything you've ever experienced before. Preston Sprinkle is a a Christian author who wrote this. He said, we want to domesticate grace. We want to calm it down and stuff it into a blue blazer and a pair of khakis. And I like that because I think it summarizes nicely what these Jewish believers were attempting to do with the grace of the gospel. They wanted to domesticate it by adding circumcision. They wanted to calm it down by requiring obedience to the law. But you can't try to make sense of grace because it's unlike anything you've ever known. If the thought 
of God's grace doesn't take your breath away and calls you to drop to your knees, then you're not thinking about it right. And and did you really hear Peter's last statement? Because let me read it again. He said no to this group of Jewish Christian leaders. He said no. We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Did you catch it that time? You see, we would expect Peter here to conclude his speech by saying, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that they, the Gentiles, are saved just as we, the Jews, are. But that's not what he says. Instead, he says the reverse. He says, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, the Jews, will be saved just as the Gentiles are. You see, the message of grace does not just mean that the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised or required to obey the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus, but neither do the Jews. And talk about a message unlike anything that they had ever heard. To be or not to be. That's the question. And Peter answers that question with a resounding not to be. Because God is doing something brand new that has everything to do with your heart, nothing to do with the law of Moses, and is unlike anything you've ever known. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this message to us today. We're thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus. It's unlike anything that we know. Can't be domesticated. Can't be put into a box. can't be cut down and tried to, be, to understand it in some way, a form or fashion or to some, some equation. So we, we praise you for the grace of our Lord Jesus. Thankful for the gift of salvation. We thank you for faith. In Jesus the Christ, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit purifies our hearts. Lord, pour out the new wine of your grace into your new creations this morning. Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning... If you're here and have never responded to the grace of our Lord Jesus, then the invitation is for you to come.
and you receive his grace through faith, through following the lead of Annabelle, putting him on in baptism this morning. We'd love as your church family to be a part of that. Call you to that this morning in Jesus' name. Come as we stand and sing. Deeper than the ocean and wider than the sea.